Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. By now, we've all watched on our screens the shocking and horrifying events that took place on October 7, as hundreds of armed Palestinian Hamas terrorists from Gaza poured over the border into Israel with a fury that can only be properly described as being birthed in the pit of hell. As news of defenseless men, women, and children being tortured and murdered in the most horrific manners begin to make their way to documented news reports, the question of who, what, and why began to echo across the world. Today, I want to begin uh, with a message in a series that I titled, What Happens Next? Uh, The Order of the End of Time. When things like this happen in our world, they hit us hard, and common questions start coming up about the end times. And and of course, unless you're, uh, you're into this topic, then there's a lot of questions about who Hamas is, who the Palestinians are, why there's so much fight. Uh, fighting going on over there and who owns the land questions like that are everywhere in our society i want to answer who the palestin who are the palestinians why are they so angry at the jews and whose land is it anyway so question whose land is it anyway to put it plainly the rightful owner is god and that sounds pretty simple but i think the truth often is just simple Psalm 24.1 reveals that the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. God not only owns the world, but he owns every human being, every soul that's ever been created. It's his. The land was given to the Jewish people by God exclusively and eternally. Genesis 12.1 tells us this. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Genesis 13, you just go a chapter ahead. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, they'd gone their separate ways. Abram is in the mountain region up near Jerusalem. And you is a beautiful view of, of much of Israel there. God said to him, lift your eyes now. And look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I, God, give to you, Abram, and your descendants forever, period. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. In Genesis 17, Abram asks God to include Ishmael in this covenant, and God very clearly says, no. My covenant is with you and your son Isaac. He explained that Ishmael would have a blessing from God. He would number uh, much like the children of Israel, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But this covenant that he had just spoke about whose land is it was to Isaac and all that would follow. 
in Israel. God's word is plainly spoken. The land belongs to Israel. It does today. Forever is forever. It doesn't matter that Rome, Babylon, the Byzantines, and others invaded and occupied it for centuries at times. Many of them renamed it. The Romans renamed it Palestinia in their language, Palestine. But God calls it Israel forever. And there will be a new Jerusalem one day, and it will be eternal. It is the eternal city. They called it Palestinia because there were people there called the Philistines still in the Roman occupation that began, I believe it was 260 B.C., but before Christ, Rome came in. And they hated the Jews, and so they decided, we're going to rename the country to Philistine. After Jesus' prophecy regarding the destruction of the temple was fulfilled in 70 A.D., when the Romans came down, Titus and his armies, Israel had rebelled and wanted to be free again, and they thought they could pull it off, which was a foolish notion. And the Roman army came down and taught them the lesson they would never forget. Uh, with great violence, they killed thousands upon thousands upon thousands and drove them out from Jerusalem and drove them out largely from Israel, although a remnant remained behind and always has. But they drove them out and they were scattered in what was called the great diaspora, the great dispersion of people, across, of uh, Jews across the planet. The Jews were largely scattered across the world at this time, and their land was sparsely populated by a remnant of Jews and a few thousand transient Arab tribes, and other nationalities spread across its landscape over time. It was kind of just anybody's land at that point. Eventually, the British allowed, um, who occupied it and controlled it for a very long time and, and through World War II, allowed Jordan to occupy most of the land of Israel, but Jordan has no claims on it, and even today, they don't assert any claim. After World War II, the United Nations was established, and they recognized that the surviving Jews needed a place to regather themselves. After what they had, six million Jews had been murdered, and the Jews had helped the Allies win the war. And so they wanted to help them out now after the war. They needed a place to regather. And what better place than in their original homeland, which was under British rule at the time. The Brits agreed to this, and they set a date for Great Britain's exodus from the land. Many thousands of Jews who had been left homeless and penniless after the war, many who felt betrayed by the country they were living in, felt compelled to return to their ancient land and in the great, what, what's called the Great Aliyah, which, is, which means return. And the Great Aliyah began. And Jews just showed up in mass, largely on ships that were out in the Mediterranean, waiting to, to go ashore. When the Jews began arriving on boats, they were met by Arabs who violently opposed their return to the region. The British announced their departure date and left all their firearms stacked on docks as the British boarded their ships and Jews landed on these docks. They armed themselves just in time for the, the Arabs to arrive and who wanted to push them back into the sea and then the war began. The Jews and largely the Jordanian army. Small war broke out with the, with the Jordanian army, but again, God provided his people with a miraculous victory by allowing the Jews not only to make it on shore, but to push inland where they eventually captured all of the city of Jerusalem, who at that time were 
occupied and run by the Jordanians. God gave them the miracle He had long ago promised His people from His Word. And they began a nation again in a single day after 2,000 years of being spread across the world. No other nation in history of the world has ever been brought back to life together after being scattered to the four corners. Israel was back in their land, or at least they occupied somewhere between one quarter and one third of the land that they had before Rome came in and, and uh, beat them up and, and took their land from them for, uh, let's see, two, uh, 200, um, for some almost 400 years, Rome occupied their land. So they got some of their land back, a quarter to a third of it back. Listen to this prophecy from 2,600 years before it was fulfilled. God said this. It would take 2,600 years for it to happen, but God is always faithful. And what he says he will do, he will do in his time. Ezekiel, the prophet, God spoke to Ezekiel. Chapter 36, 24 prophesied, For I will take from you, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your land. Jeremiah 16, 14 and 15 Jeremiah is speaking now, God speaking through Jeremiah's prophet. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. Now he speaks through Isaiah. 66 verse 8 who has heard of such a thing who has seen such things shall the earth be made to give birth in one day or shall a nation be born at once for as soon as Zion was in labor she gave birth to her children Israel did indeed become a nation in a single day only our God can give birth to prophecies such as this no man could make that happen only God question number one whose land is it anyway it belongs to Israel it was given to them by God and question number two who are the Palestinians the Palestinians lay claim to the entire region of Israel prior to the mid 20th century so let's look back 80 ish years ago the term Palestinian was used as a regional term not an official people much like referring to residents of parts of the United States as Southerners. Palestine was the term for the territory, the land, between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. The word Palestinian was applied to anyone living in that area, Jew and Arab alike. The modern-day Palestinian people group represent a mixture of local inhabitants and many other groups of Muslims brought from the, the area of the Balkans, Bosnia, and the Caucasus by the Turks in the 16th and 19th centuries, and from the Sudan, Egypt, Syria, and Lebanon by the British in the 20th century. The term Palestinian did not make or did not take on its current popular meaning until the mid-20th century. So the, the late 40s, early 50s, they started to call this people group Palestinians. In common use today, the term Palestinian is primarily applied to non-Jewish, Arab-speaking residents of this region. 
This usage is highly controversial, however, since for most of human history, a Palestinian was simply a person born or living in that land, Jews included. When used in reference only to non-Jews, it applies a historical claim to the territory in opposition to Israel. In reality, the concept of Palestine is a na- as a nation state in opposition to Israel or as a racial group predating the presence of Jewish inhabitants is historically false. End of quote. Question number three, why can't Jews and Palestinians get along? It didn't just start a decade ago. It didn't start in 1948. It started way, way back to the earliest of history. To discover the origins of this conflict, we have to go all the way back to Genesis and the father of our faith, Abram, as he was called originally, and then God changed his name to Abraham. Abraham is called by God to travel to what is now modern-day Israel from the land of Ur, which was in southern Syria. God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. Let's talk about this word covenant for a moment. It's critical. A covenant is a formal contractual agreement between two individuals. There are two basic types of covenants in the Bible, conditional and unconditional. Conditional covenants require actions from both parties involved. In today's terms, this would be like a mortgage on a home. The borrower of the money promises to give you the money. You promise to pay it back with interest. That's a conditional. If you do your part, then I will do my part. If you don't do your part, I will come take what it is I've given to you. Unconditional covenants are those where the greater of the two parties promises to do something for the lesser party with who they enter into the contract. It's a one-sided. It's one person saying, I guarantee you I'm going to do that. I promise I'm going to do it. I'm giving you this, no strings attached. It's all on me. I will keep the covenant that I've promised to you. It's also called a royal grant covenant, where a king gives a reward to a faithful subject for services rendered. And that covenant is irrevocable because it's based on the word and promise of the king himself. In his covenant with Abraham, God promised to bless him and give him so many descendants that they would not be able to be numbered. In essence, this covenant was a reward to Abraham. It was based on Abraham believing the word of God that God had given to him. As Genesis 15, 6 stated, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so God gave him this one-sided covenant. God blessed Abraham's faith and he gave him this promise that Abraham's descendants would be innumerable like the sands of the sea or the stars in the heaven. You could not number them. Now Abraham questioned how God was going to do this since he had no children. He and uh, Sarai, as she was called back then, they had no children. Sarai was barren and they were well past childbearing years. God assured Abram that this would come to pass. However, a year went by, no baby. Five years slipped by, no child. Ten years go by. Now they're starting to sweat a little bit. After all, Abraham is now 85 years old and Sarai is 75 years old. 
Even in Bible times, Sarai was well past childbearing years. They became impatient after 10 years. And then they decided on their own to help God out with this promise. AKA, we're taking matters into our hands. It's a lack of trust to say the least. This is the beginning of the conflict we see today. Their actions would have Genesis 16, one through four. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said, verse three. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So Abram took Hagar to be his second wife and she gets pregnant. In a fit of jealousy, Sarah, uh, Sarai began to mistreat Hagar so badly that she ran away from home. However, remember, this son was Abram's son also. Ishmael was an heir to a secondary covenant God swore to Abram. Hagar was met by the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord reminded her of this promise in Genesis 6, 11. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. That's what it means. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Wow. Does God keep his promises? He bet he does. The angel of the Lord further instructs Hagar to return to Abraham's house his protection so they'd be safe and cared for until Ishmael became a young man. So Hagar returns to the house and Ishmael was born shortly afterwards. 15 years later and 25 years after God made his original promise to Sarai got pregnant at 90 years old shortly after that and Isaac was born. They'd only hung on a little longer, but that's not the story. Soon after that, Ishmael was heard mock Isaac, who was younger than him, the heir to the promise of Israel. Sarai throws another fit, and this time Abram sends them both away. Years later, Ishmael became the father of 12 sons, 12 princes, who became the Arab people. Some of those Arab tribes would become what is known today as the Palestinians, who along with other Arab fighters that have come to infiltrate the Palestinian people make up the group Hamas. This fight began because Abraham and Sarah tried to help God fulfill his promise because Abraham and Sarah lacked trust in God and took matters into their own hands. And they got a son of the flesh who is now forever at war against the son of God's promise. One son came through human effort, Ishmael, and the other son came through faith in God, and that is Isaac. This is the age-old origin of the fighting that we're witnessing today. 
These two sons of Abraham have been at perpetual war with each other for over 3,800 years. There is a second part of this scene in Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau, like Ishmael, was the firstborn, and he should have been the inheritor of Isaac's inheritance. But if you remember the Bible story, Esau was a man of high passion, like his uncle Ishmael, a wild man. He had no patience and even less wisdom. He would not settle. He rode with a a, a band of men and was known for having a temper. He had no patience and no wisdom. So much so that he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of Campbell's stew. I don't know if it's Campbell's, but it was stew. Esau's descendants include those now living in Lebanon, Iraq, and Syria. If the members of Hezbollah from the north are from those areas, and and many are, clearly, they may be descendants of Esau from 3,800 years previous. So this is just a a 32,000-foot flyover, as they say. We're not going into this because you can study this stuff for the rest of your life. There's so much written on this. So now I want to jump to modern day, modern time. Now I want to show you a word, the word Hamas. Hamas is, is not a word per se, but an acronym. In Arabic, it stands for Islamic Resistant Movement. There's a very similar sounding word in Arabic that means zeal or those who are zealous. The irony of them choosing that name for themselves is that Hamas is also a Hebrew word that means brutal, unjustified, evil, and wicked violence. We also see this word repeated throughout the Old Testament, and it's always used to describe horrific acts of violence, rape, mutilation, and slaughter of the innocents. Let me give you an example from God's word here. The first place the Hebrew word Hamas is used in the Bible is found in Genesis 6, verse 11, and of course, that's the story of Noah. Let's jump to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of Hamas, violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with Hamas, violence. Because of them, I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. First time Hamas, the word Hamas shows up, was seen in the earth. It drew a very strong reaction from God. He pushed the reset button on the whole planet, save eight people. The Hamas terrorists are all members of the Islamic radical group, mostly Sunni Muslims. Islam is an all-encompassing religion. It is intended to be a part of everything in the follower's life. The Muslim has no assurance of salvation, no guarantee of heaven, except if he does one thing. If they participate and die in jihad or holy war, they believe that in heaven they'll be given 72 virgins to take as their wives and live in paradise under Allah's favor forevermore. That's the only way you can know for a fact that you're going to heaven. So by a fundamentalist belief in Islam, which is the predominant belief in the Middle East that many of the Sunnis believe, that the only way to to know that you're going to heaven is to commit Hamas for Allah. Are their actions of October 7 making a little more sense to us today? I think they are. 
Question number four, how should Christians respond? As much as we have been focusing on the physical battle, we have to remember whatever is happening in the seen world starts with the unseen in the spiritual realm. This all starts back at the feet of Satan. Islam and Hamas are spirits of Antichrist. They're dark and incredibly evil spiritual forces within Satan's armies. And the best way we can fight them is from our knees. We need to pray that God will intervene. Let me close with this. In spite of how many people feel about all this, God loves the Palestinian people. Let me say that again. God loves the Palestinian, and we're to love them too. Don't get caught up for they hate these people. Jesus said, pray for those that persecute you. If they hate you, remember, they hated me first. Love those who persecute you. It's hard to do sometimes when you watch the news and see some of this stuff that took place. But it is a commandment, and it's not an option. Yes, we ought to pray for Israel, but we ought to pray for the salvation of the Palestinian people as well. A people whose country has largely been hijacked by hate-filled and violent, demonic spiritual forces that have come in in the embodiment of what's called Hamas. Not every Palestinian is a terrorist. Heaven will be made up of believers from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and I guarantee you, some of them will be Palestinian believers who were prayed for, loved on, and who heard the gospel and responded by surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. Grace is for everyone. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.